So I'm Nicolette and today Brian and I are here with Marcus Collins. He is Chief Consumer Connections Officer and he is going to talk to us a little bit today about marketing and uh, you know our consumer behaviors and all kinds of fun stuff. So how are you Marcus? Thank you for joining us. I'm doing quite well. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Marcus, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of the path that led you to what you're doing now? Yeah, so I am, uh, my path has been non-traditional in every sense. So I'm, I'm a product of Detroit, born and raised, studied engineering undergrad, uh, realized I didn't want to do a career in material science engineering. So I went into the music business, following my heart, my passion every day. <laughs> Uh, did a music startup with a good friend and uh, it was quasi successful at a moment of like a glimmer of like this could be really good then the music industry tanked in uh, about 2006 because the record industry sucks uh, but digital became the thing so I went back to school to get my MBA to kind of figure out this disruption that was happening in business um, and from there I found myself uh, at Apple doing partner marketing in iTunes then moved to New York to run digital strategy for Beyonce which was pretty cool, uh, and then moved into advertising. And I've been in the world of advertising since for about a decade now. Um, but even in the world of advertising, I've had a foot in academia, which has been good for me, sort of balancing these two worlds of practicing and scholarship and the closing the practitioner academic gap has kind of been uh, my, 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 my charge as a, as a practitioner and academic today. So Marcus, you mentioned academia. You also teach at the University of Michigan, correct? Yes, that's my alma mater. So I'm really proud to be a part of that. I am a, a, I'm a lecturer at the Ross School of Business, University of Michigan uh, in the marketing department. So I, I teach consumer behavior, digital media, di uh, social media marketing, the marketing core, advertising, uh, brand. I'm, just, I'm, a, I'm a marketer through and through. And for so me- being in the classroom helps me uh, sort of set up the future for, for our industry. Well, to that point then, how have your lessons kind of evolved over the past few years with the, you know, the marketing landscape always changing and, and evolving? And I'm going to, you know, piggyback on that by what are your students most intrigued by when, you know, as over the course of this evolution? Yeah, so, you know, we live in an ever-changing world, a hyper-connected world that is constantly changing. The evolving media landscape continues to evolve. And the way I tell my students is that if you came in this class on day one, 14-week class, you came in on day one, and I started teaching you how Facebook works and what the new tools and technologies are, like, it'll be obsolete by the time we finish the course. So instead of teaching the tech, I teach perspective, a way of seeing the world of thinking about the technology as a vehicle that extends human behavior. But the first thing you need to do is think about human behavior. And what I realized both as a practitioner um, and as, a, as an academic is that we really don't know human behavior very well, especially as, as marketers, which is sort of uh, counterintuitive because you would think that marketers know people really well, that should be our superpower. The truth of the matter is, is that we don't know people very well. So I spend my time uh, with students in the classroom, helping them reconfigure or recalibrate their perspective to understand people. And then we think about how does technology from a conceptual level and a tactical level, how do those technologies help us extend 
and push human behavior for, forward. So, so you, oops, sorry, Nick, what? Just to, so you mentioned um, teaching human behavior. Now, do you do that with um, research or, you know, do you have studies to back that up or, you know, what's the, 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 think, the thought process there? How, how do you kind of inform them? Yeah, you know, so I studied engineering undergrad, and which means I didn't, I wasn't required to take a lot of humanities courses. So I didn't know very much about human behavior at all for a very long time. It wasn't until I was in New York working at Translation, which is uh, Steve Stout's advertising agency. And I was there, I built the social practice there. So I was like the, the social guy. Like I, I brought, I was the thought leader for social in the building. And I realized uh, pretty early on in my time there that I knew very little about social because I thought about social from the perspective of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, Tumblr, Snapchat, like those things were social. And truth of the matter is that those things are social networking platforms, but social by definition is all about people. And I realized I knew nothing about people. I mean, what a, like, it was like a Jerry Maguire moment that like, wow, <laughs> like I was like, I was, it was, it was illuminating to realize that, you know, you this epiphany they're like, wow, I, I, I see the world so much clearly now, but realize that though I see the world clearly, I was not equipped for this new world. So I started to invest in myself in the social sciences. I started with Dan Ariely, particularly rational, that led me to Daniel Kahneman, which led me to, to uh, George Lowenstein. And then I went back to Freud and Jung, which led me to Solomon Ash and Milgrams and everything in between. And I just found myself like really engrossed and curious about understanding human behavior. And the better I got at understanding human behavior, the better the work got, the better the creative that I put in the world got. And I realized as you know, a budding academic that it's, we have to understand the, the why before we can get to the how. That is, we have to have no why, why things are where they are, the underlying physics of human behavior to be able to put things in the world that activate people. So my, the, the work that I, that I show in the classroom are not just tactical executions, but it's understanding why from a human behavior perspective do those things work, why they happen. So it's very much rooted in, in the, the social science literature. So you also talk a lot about demographics versus psychographics versus then really coming into networking, right? Is, yeah. is that part of what you teach? Because, you know, I've seen you speak on some of those things and some powerful stuff. Is that part of what you, you ingrain in the classroom? Oh, yeah. That is the foundation of kind of all, all things I teach kind of start there. You know, I, um, you know, as a marketer, we learn about demography and psychographics, right? Demographics are our age, our race, our gender, household income, right? Um, the, the language that we speak, the geography where we live, and those things, that's the instrument that marketers use to describe who people are. While those things are somewhat factual, I mean, gender is, is uh, fluid in a lot of ways, but somewhat statistically factual, like you either make this much money or you don't, they don't accurately describe who we are. For instance, you know, I'm four years old, African-American, if you had noticed, uh, born and raised in Detroit, went to public schools my entire life. Now, if a marketer saw that on a brief, they say, oh, he must fuck this, go to these places, hang out with those people, buy those kind of things, and talk a certain way because that's just how those kind of people behave. Mm -hmm. And that is a racist, but also <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't actually describe who, who I am. 
Does it describe the fact that I grew up playing jazz as a kid or I swam competitively or, you know, I was an engineer or I love to sail. Like those things shape how I see the world and the way I see the world informs the way I behave in the world. And while psychographics talking about like our, our interests, our passion points, what we like, do a better job of describing us, the best job, the best descriptor of who we are, are our people. The people that we self-select and self-identify by, not only because that's how we define ourselves, but also there are cultural characteristics that are normal within those groups of people that become the operating system for how we behave on a normal basis. This is getting at the causality-based theory of why we do what we do. So I, I see the world through the lens of targeting by networks. I teach students that it's not about demography or psychographics. It's about the network that we're a part of and the cultural characteristics that guide the behavior of the network. That's the foundation of everything that I teach. And it's the foundation of everything I do as a practitioner as well. So then what should marketers do instead of looking at, you know, age, race, uh, you know, whatever, sexual identity, uh, location, what should they be looking at instead? You know, what are the, so how do they approach that? How do they gather that information then? So the first thing is that marketers look at themselves, start with the brand. Like, what do we believe as a brand? Like, what, how do we see the world? Simon Sinek refers to it as their why, right? It's their conviction. Like, what do they believe? Not what they do, not the products they put in the world, but the ideology that guides the decision to make those products or the words that they use as, as communicators. So we start with the brand's ideology. And then we identify the network of people who subscribe to that ideology, that is, who see the world similarly. Because what happens is that the people who subscribe to the brand's belief not only buy from the brand, right, because there's some self-congruence happening there, but they buy from the brand because the brand becomes a badge of their own identity. So I use the, band, the brand as a shortcut to who I am. The, in the literature, it's referred to as uh, cultures of consumption. These are collectives of people, communities of people that are not only committed to a consumption pattern, but they adhere to cultural characteristics about being a part of that community. So if you're a sneakerhead, there's behaviors that are normative, there are beliefs that are normative. If you are a fisherman, there are beliefs and behaviors that are normative. Right? We, we're all a part of these communities. So the idea first is to say, brand, what do we believe? Then who are the, the networks, the collective of people that are most willing to move because they see the world similarly? At which point we identify that, then you go do you know, the deep research on like, who are they? What do they believe? What are the artifacts that they wear? What do they mean? What are the things that are normative to them? What are the language that they use? And where might you find them? Can I, can I just stop? I have a question. What's up with the Campbell's soup? I can't, I can't stop looking at it. I gotta know. So I this, is a, this is a, uh, a print of Warhol's uh, famous <laughs> Campbell's soup uh, uh, piece of art. And you know, it's a, it was a play at mass consumption, right? Uh, yeah, so Andy Warhol had a, you know, very, a, a very sharp journalistic lens to, to his work. And as an advertiser, this is like kind of what we're, we're this is sort of a play of what we do, you know. We're, it's it's we're, ideal. We're, See, obviously, Nicolette is not an Andy Warhol head, you know. No, I'm not. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. It, I don't know. Exactly. Um, I can exactly. Go <laughs>
<laughs> I had to stop there. Okay. I love camel soup that much. <laughs> I like any food. I'm yeah. So I mean, uh, your point, Brian. Food. It's it's uh, you know a part of if you were part of the 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 network of people who are into art or into pop culture from a pop art perspective, like that. That's like the quintessential. Very timely question. It's great. <laughs> All right. So we were talking about consumption and I think it's pretty relevant. And I know Brian wanted to ask a little bit about this as well. You know, we're looking, look, we're sitting in the middle of a pandemic and, um, Oh, are we? Is that what's happening right now? <laughs> yeah. Just in case you were wondering. Um, this, <laughs> so, you know, we're looking at consumer behaviors and I hate to bring up this, toilet paper example again, but you know, this is a, I cannot get toilet paper still. So I, this is a problem. Um, so, but what is, what's up with consumer behavior in, in the midst of a crisis? This is consumer behavior at its finest, right? This is like, to me, you know, I, it's obviously alarming because like, like it was hard to get toilet paper, but as an academic, as a marketer, I watched this and I'm fascinated by it because it's the it's it's consumer behavior at a hyperbolic state, right? So we talk a lot about drivers that influence behavior, and there are a bunch of them, uh, particularly when it comes to consumption. But one one powerful one that often comes up is this idea of social proof. That is, I look to I get I get cues to what is acceptable behavior, looking at what other people do. So you think about people who are like buying toilet paper in droves, if you ask them why they're buying toilet paper, they probably don't have the best rational answer for you. Instead, what's probably driving their behavior to buy toilet paper in droves is because someone else is buying toilet paper in droves. So right? We look at what other people do as a signal for what we should do. And it's hyperbolic, A, because there's fear, but also, it's extended because of the zeros and ones. That is, I'm looking on Facebook, I'm watching, I'm looking at things on Twitter or on Instagram, and people are bemoaning about they can't find toilet paper. So now I get afraid and I go buy toilet paper where I can because I'm afraid there won't be any more left. Right? I'm, it's it's this is uh, uh, this is this is social contagion at its finest, which is interesting for me because I study social contagion. So this is this is great. Levon wrote about. Uh, about looking at how mob behavior, how riot mob behavior happens, the, the, the contagion of the crowd. And this is exactly what's happening from a consumption perspective. So is, is that also part of the networking, right? Where we look at, you know, here you, you, got, you got people that, as part of their network. Their network's going crazy over toilet paper, you know, so they're sharing it on Facebook or their, their peer group or however you want to look at it. So all of a sudden now you're like, oh man, it's not even when you're at the store. It's like you see your peer group just getting crazy. Is that is that really falling into that principle of networking? Absolutely. I mean, this is the network effect at its finest, right? Like Charmin didn't do an ad saying, go buy some toilet paper because you got to wipe your butt. You're going to run out fast. Instead, the network effect, the, the, the propagation of this behavior is happening, whether, um, whether it's intended or just an, an unintended consequence is happening because we're watching the behavior of other people. Think about like the movies that are trending on Netflix. Contagion. Right it, and then look at what's what people are talking about on Twitter, right? Everyone is watching uh, the Tiger King, mm -hmm. so included, yeah. only because everybody's watching Tiger King, right? Nothing, nothing draws a crowd like a crowd, right? 
So watching people act informs what we should be doing, social proof. But more importantly though, when we think about culture, culture moves forward on the basis of one simple question. Do people like me do something like this? If the answer is yes, I do it. The answer is no, I don't. So if your friends who you're seeing talk about getting toilet paper or running out to get toilet paper or concerned about getting toilet paper, you either go get it or become concerned as well. Same thing goes with like staying at home. If all of your friends are staying at home, you're more inclined to stay at home as well. But if your friends are like, whatever, son, live it up, party it up, <laughs> so, YOLO, then, you know, then you're probably more inclined to be like, yeah, what's the big deal, right? It's contagion at its finest. Well, you know, I, I, I will share. So I watched everybody panicking and, and buying the toilet paper and those photos of people on social media. And I kept saying, you know, I'm not going to be part of the problem, right? I kept saying, I'm not gonna be part of the problem. Because if I go, then I'm just one more person adding to the problem. And I have toilet paper, I have enough toilet paper for maybe two and a half weeks. And now, after not being part of that problem, I'm in a situation where I really need toilet paper and I don't have any. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't go with the mob, but now I'm, I'm kind of screwed. <laughs> I kept telling Nicolette, not that you want to feed into it, but the reality is people are feeding into it. So what happens right. is you sort of have to almost, I don't want to say protect yourself, but make sure you're okay in it because everyone else has gone into this hysteria you know, about yeah. <laughs> so this is this is the consequence of social deviance. Mm -hmm. Ah, so, yes, that so is. So what you're doing, you, you, you're, you nailed it, Marcus. Everyone was doing a thing. You like, mm -mm, I'm not doing that. No, thank you, right? And mm -hmm. so social deviance can be good, but also it can be bad. So if you know, if you think about if you're in a, a group of people and everyone's like, hey, let's go do this thing. You like, guys, I don't think we should do this. Mm -hmm. Like that voice, the reason that dissent can cause people to stop and say, wait a minute, maybe we should think this through and then keep doing a disastrous thing. They're like case studies about like airplane crashes when everyone in the cockpit, no one was willing to, to dissent, to be socially deviant and therefore they made bad decisions. On the other hand, <laughs> like right now, right? Everyone's doing a thing and you decide to say, nope, uh-uh, not me, I'm not gonna do it. So while everyone's taking on the behavior, they end up taking all the resources and now, because your deviance probably wasn't a lot, wasn't wasn't as clairvoyant as you like to believe, you find yourself in the, in the state you are. And truthfully, it's even more interesting is that this is this is a part of how anthropologists would say that we were able to evolve. Uh -huh. You know, we're tribal by nature, like we're social animals. And if we were like out in sub-Saharan, you know, sub-Saharan Africa in our early early days or early existence, and you heard a rustle in the bushes and everyone who was with you on the hunt started running, you'd run too, mm -hmm. right? Because your life was at stake, yeah. right? And this is why we're so influenced by what our networks do, what the crowd does, because a part of our brain is saying, if everyone's doing this, then you're probably more safe doing it as well. So I'd be, I'd be eaten. That's, yeah. that's the reality. <laughs> I'm, I'm that deviant. <laughs> right. But dig this though, if, if, it, if it were like, you know, a tiger, you'd be eaten. However, if it were a rabbit and everybody ran away, you got dinner now. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. So Marcus, risky want, little game. <laughs> so Nicolette actually calls me one morning, and she's a huge emergency fan. 
So she's like, I'm out of emergency. I'm like, Nicolette, I got some coming from Amazon. I'm like mailing her three packets in an envelope. And she lived like 30 miles away from me. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I did not prepare. I was not going to be part of the problem. I'm like, these people are crazy. I'm just going to go shopping when I need things like a normal human. Right. And, and the, it's the, not normal times. It can't be no, that way. Yeah. And the male person's like, what is in here? She's like, she is like loose powder. I'm like, I'm like, it's emergencies. She's like, oh, okay. <laughs> She's like, what is going on here? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we came across your, um, your new series where you extract insights from hip hop lyrics. And so now I understand a little bit more. You have a background in in music as well. So that's where some of this comes from. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because I, I just found that absolutely fascinating. Absolutely. So I, I love this. So the, the, the video series you're talking about is called Check the Rhyme. So I'm a huge hip hop fan. You know, so from, from, I mean, I, I'm an R&B guy at heart, truthfully, but huge hip hop fan. Like, you know, grew up on Native Tongue, grew up on NWA, grew up on... You know, all, all those guys, Big Daddy Kane, like all, all those guys. And, you know, I've always loved loved hip hop as a fan to this day. And when I went into my doctoral program, I knew I wanted to study social contagion because I'm excited about that. And I wanted to do this through the lens of consumer culture, right? Cultures of consumption. And I thought when I looked at the research, I realized that there aren't a lot of academic literature on hip hop culture which I thought was just fascinating, but puzzling as well. You have this collective of people that are so consumption positive, right? Present company included, right? You know, we buy things at like such a massive rate, but also at a high high price point. You know, Kanye West says it this way, and I spent 400 bucks on this just to be like, you ain't up on this, right? (laughs) It's unbelievable consumption, uh, consumption activity yet so woefully understudied in the marketing literature, which I imagine is probably a, some socioeconomic thing happening there. There's probably uh, a, 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 a racial anemia there as well, or probably just lack of curiosity, I'm not really sure. So I thought for sure, this is what I'm going to study. Social contagion, which I'm really excited about, cultures of consumption, which I believe in heavily, and hip hop culture, which I absolutely love. So I decided to do was say, because there's this big anemia here, there's this white space here, I'm going to take hip hop lyrics and extract marketing insights from them in the video series that I'll do once a week, taking some of my favorite lines in hip hop that have these marketing overtures on, underneath them and sort of unpack them in a academic way, but also in a colloquial way as well, right? So you think about, I'm talking to I'm talking to other hip hop fans. I'm talking to academics. I'm talking to marketers. Um, so, I, I, so I love the series. I'm, I'm like what nine episodes in, eight episodes in, and it's been it's been pretty cool. And obviously, it's called Check the Rhyme because Tribe Quest is my favorite hip hop group, and uh, they have a song called Check the Rhyme, and it just makes sense because Check the Rhyme. So, can you give us an example of of uh, some sort of insight you've pulled out of the lyrics? Yes, so a few of them. So I did the Kanye West one, spent 400 bucks on this from All Falls Down. Uh, but I also uh, did Jay-Z, We Don't Believe You, You Need More People, which speaks to our idea of social proof, right? So Jay-Z from The Takeover, which is like one of my favorite 
uh, diss tracks. And he says, uh, you know, if you don't believe you, you need more people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so, it just, it's so pregnant with marketing insight, that line. So essentially what he's saying is that we trust things when we see other people doing it. That is, we look to the behaviors of other, social proof, to get a sense of what we should be doing also. And if people aren't doing your thing, people aren't talking about your brand or wearing your brand or evangelizing your brand, then as a consumer, there's no signal that I should trust this. There is no, uh, there is no, no indicator that people like me do something like this. Therefore, it's hard for it to become a part of my cultural activity. We don't believe you. You need more people. Just, just amazing. Just amazing. That's so cool. I'm, I'm so fascinated now. I'm, I'm really, I want to go listen to some music. And I'm sure there you could you extract things like this from any genre of music or, you know, any, maybe. You know, a part of me wanted to stray away from hip hop just for a moment uh, during Black History Month because I wanted to do Destiny's Child, Say My Name. Uh-huh. The idea is this, it's like, you know, uh, Black History Month, every brand's like, we love black people. <laughs> black people are so proud of this rich heritage that black people have. Then after February, it's like, we'll see you next February. Well, <laughs> if you love us so much, then say my name all year round. <laughs> say my name outside of February. But I decided to keep it, keep it hip hop. Oh, man, Marcus. So... Is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of consumer behavior and, and what's going on in the world right now? Is there any, um, I mean, we talked a little bit about social deviance. And so, you know, is there any sort of advice based on your research and your, your study studies that we could kind of take into consideration during this time? Totally. I think that the most important thing for any marketer, regardless of the time, but especially in time of peril or time of, of calamity, um, is to focus on people in like the most human way possible. You know, it's, it's, um, it's the idea of being super, super, super empathetic. The more empathetic we are, so empathy, you know, I think about empathy is about like seeing the world through someone else's eyes. Mm-hmm. We also talk about empathy as like, you know, walking a mile of someone's shoes, mm-hmm. but like that doesn't remove yourself. You get to experience it but you just have to remove yourself. You gotta like feel someone else's pain, see the world through their, through their eyes, that we can understand A, how they cognate, B, how they make sense of it, how they feel, and then be able to communicate it back to them. And I think today, in the current state that we're in, this is the perfect time, this is the opportune time that marketers get ridiculously human. You know, I, I, I think it's so, it seems so out of place that I get emails now saying things like, hey, you know, we got some new, new sneakers dropping this week. And like, now's not the time. You know, like, I love Yeezys as much as anybody else, but like, not right now, Yeezy, you know? Um, or, you know, you get the emails from brands who have, I, I, bought, I bought some socks from them 12 years ago. And let me know what their 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 coronavirus <laughs> protocol is going to be. Like, yeah. I don't know you, you know. And <laughs> it's this idea of just being radically human, yes. and just being unbelievably human to say, look, I I I understand. We're, we're feeling it too. How can I help? You know, I, I think that you know that that's been my my mo for marketers and for for myself. So since we've been on lockdown, or you know self-distancing or 
you know, in the state of quarantine and our classes have been online um, at, at Michigan, you know, I've been thinking like they're, while I'm doing office hours for my students, so I do like, I open up a, a Zoom link, they drop in whenever they want to over the course of an hour, ask questions, talk, whatever you want to do, like they would if they're in my, in my office in the, at the university, instead of, you know, I just do it via Zoom now. And I thought to myself, there are probably tons of people out there, small business owners, marketers, other students at different schools who have questions about marketing that will, will probably benefit from a conversation. So every Friday I do an open office hours for anybody, for everybody. There's a link, drop one in. If I don't know you, it's all good. And I do it with, a, with, a, with another guest every week, some new guests, just to kind of keep it, you know, keep it, keep it new or keep it lively. Uh, but it's just about helping people. Like, how can I help? That's, all, that's awesome. So I have, I have a question. You talked about, you know, companies sending messaging out during this time, right? And we see a lot of companies trying to do the right thing and, and helping out, right? We see these big messages from big companies. It, back to your point, are they, do you believe they're going to stay with that? You know, have they reached a pivotal point of empathy for consumers that they'll stay with it? <laughs> Look at Nicolette shaking her head. That's but <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it, it just, it amazes me that they, you know, you're, you're getting that sense, okay, they're coming together for empathy, but how long is this going to last is what I, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, you're right. 100%. It's like, it's back to, you know, say my name, you know, it's yeah. like, it's, it's easy to say you care about me, you know, when it is contextually uh, convenient for you. Mm -hmm. But what about, you know, when things are back to normal, like, show me you care, care then. I think the brands that have been human from day one, that show up today in the normal fashion they have been, it's just them sort of, you know, demonstrating who they are, and why they exist and how they see the world. You know, it's like, don't act brand new because we're in a pandemic. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I saw a great meme that was like, you know, do not text message your ex saying thinking about you. <laughs> no, no, we're not there, fam. No. Just well, I mean, the pandemic, I don't is, want to hear from you. You know. The bottom line is this is a these are businesses. And I mean at the end of the day, they have to they have to turn a profit. I mean, they still have to sell things, right? Even after this is over, they still have to go back to selling things. And you sure. know, even now they need to sell things. But I mean, there is a way, I'm sure, to keep that human element while still selling. I just don't know if they yeah. found that balance, yeah. you know. Like, that's my point. Are they going to continue, right? Are they going to continue going forward with that human element, or are they just going going to, uh, you know, you know, like we talked about Black History Month, the month's over. Do you know what yeah. I mean? You know, I saw a really interesting ad last night uh, from Burger King, and I was like, this actually was really well done. I actually rewinded and show my wife. I was like, this is actually really well done. You know, it says, uh, you know, right now you're probably not thinking about Burger King, but we're thinking about you. And these are the precautions that we're taking to make sure your food is safe, to make sure you know, th that we're, we're distancing, that there's no physical touch, et cetera, et cetera, right? So for me, what is Burger King is signaling is that like, hey, like, we know you gotta eat, you know? And like, while yes, to Nicholas' point, they're like, you know, we're gonna make money off of this too. This isn't like a philanthropy, but it's, it's, we're going, we're, we're taking overtures to communicate to you how we're thinking about your safety. You know, our, our local grocer did the same thing, sent me an email last week saying, these are the provisions that we're taking to make sure you're safe. And while, yes, it's in the service of, of us consuming, of us buying from them, it was just very human. Like, you know, brands who are like, 
hey, here's what you should be doing right now to make sure you're safe. Like, give me that message right now, not like the new drop. Right. Yeah. Well, it's almost like the motivator, right? So it's a mot it's motivation to buy from Burger to eat at Burger King too for for a consumer. I mean, right. if I know Especially that right now with things are shut down, you know, it's like, oh, Burger King is open and they're taking precautions. Right. right. Like, I I feel I I feel I'm more motivated to go because my resistance is is dropped. Mm -hmm. right. I'm I'm hoping some of these companies have turned a corner. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. they've, they've learn something through all this and they're going to be more empathetic you know to people in the future it would be awesome to see it it would be awesome you know oh. uh, but to your point like these are brands they're, they're corporations they're not human even though we we you know personify them as humans we say you know uh you know they as if they are people but it's it's that <laughs> that is a brand right it's a brand mark and that brand mark has all these emotional things psychological things that we um that we make sense out of, uh, but ultimately, you're right. It's a, it's an organization, but the organizations are trying to establish relationships with us, and therefore, they have to oblige to the psychology of how relationships are developed, right? Like you can't have it both ways, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you want a relationship with me, then you have to engage in that way, unless you want a transactional relationship. You want a transaction relationship? I just buy from you. Cool, sweet. So things are things are not going well for me right now. I'm not buying from you. Peace. Right. I'll holler at you when I'm ready. <laughs> right. I mean, basically, kind of where 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 it is. Right. You know, there's also this human element though to a brand because look, if they're uh, the backs my point, they still have to make money, right? But if they don't make money, yes, that maybe they they shut down or whatever they do. But there's people, humans that work for these people, you know? And so when you look at it like that, it kind of at least provides a little bit of um, a different spin on it. You know, it's not the brand, it's all these people that work there that will lose their jobs too. Like there's humans right. there, you know? That's so right. it kind of like de-demonizes the whole big brand thing. When you look at it, like there's real people tied to this. Which is why, you know, we, we have such a soft spot for small businesses, especially times like this because we know like there's a human on the other side of that. When you, get, when you talk about a company where there's tens of thousands of people, it's hard to humanize it, right? Like it's the reason why, you know, behavioral economics talks about this, that there's a tragedy and like thousands of people lose their lives. That doesn't hit as hard to, it doesn't hit as hard when compared to like a little girl who fell down a well. Right. Like we'll, we'll come around, like we'll really rally around the story of one person because it's easier for us to cognate the idea of an individual and make that person human than a huge number, a statistic. Because statistics don't feel very human, right? So when we think about a big company, it's so ambiguous on who the people are, right? Like, you know, it's hard to say that like if, if I'm not shopping at Macy's, then the person who you know, who sprays fragrance when I walk in, loses right. their job. Right. Does it feel the same when it's like, if I don't eat at the local burger shop around me, then Claude, <laughs> Claude, you know, loses his business. And that hurts a little bit more. We feel that a little bit more. It's almost like it's the data versus the story, right? You know, when you understand the story, right. you know, you get more connected to it. Whereas if it's just a big data point, it just, you know, it, it's not as it's not as personal. 
Absolutely. And that's why these brands are really opting to show their human side. I mean, right, it's become more, we're seeing that more than ever, right? Tell the story of your company, tell the story of your people, of your employees, right? So, I mean, they're on the right track then to humanizing their brand, to show that there are real people attached to this. And that's been a big thing over the past few years. So Absolutely. We're defenseless when it comes to stories. We, we love stories. We can't help it, right? You tell somebody, like, hey, Brian, I gotta go. I'll talk to you later. It's like, okay, one more thing. Tell the story right quick. Like, right, hurry up, dude, hurry up, hurry up. <laughs> we love a good story, right? And you know, when we tell the, when we, when we evangelize the brand's conviction, its belief through stories, you know, it, it's it, it's really really powerful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Marcus. Can you please tell everybody where they can, first of all, watch your your series and where they can learn more about you. Absolutely. So uh, you can follow me, find me at all the social networking platforms at my handle at Mark to the C, M-A-R-C-T-O-T-H-E-C, or just go to my website, marktothec.com, M-A-R-C-T-O-T-H-E-C.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, we appreciate it greatly, Marcus. Thank you. This is lots of fun. Thanks so much.